we have got an incredible treat this morning. We're really excited to have three of our um, young people come and share with you. And I want to encourage you to encourage them. I want you to get a bit vocal. I want you to encourage them verbally because it's pretty scary standing up here if you haven't done it before. And we want them to know that we are with them 100%. So can we do that? Yes. Awesome. So the first person I'd like to invite up is Lauren. She's going to come and share what God's put on her heart for our church. So I realised probably a few of you don't know me. Um, I have been coming to Bayside for close to 12 months now and I love it. It feels like family. And so I thought before I share what God has placed on my heart, I would just share a little bit about myself. Um, so my name's Lauren. Um, I just recently turned 30, um, which is a scary age for me, but so far it's going well. Um, I'm a social worker um, and I've just started a new job this year. I'm working at an outdoor ed adventure-based program with teenagers who are not doing well at school. So they're either getting suspended a lot, really naughty, angry kids, or they're just not going to school at all. And we get to do lots of fun things. We take them surfing and caving and snorkeling and it's an amazing job. I'm also the mother to a beautiful pet bunny. Um, her name's Petunia. She's about a kilo. She's a dwarf bunny. And my friends affectionately call me the crazy bunny lady. Um, I'm about to get a second one, a husband for Petunia, um, which I'm very excited about. I do have a dream to one day own a house where every room is full of bunnies. Um, but that's a story for another day. I know that Emma and Danelle will encourage me in that. Um, when I was, when, when Jimmy asked me to speak, I, I was very nervous because I've never done this before. And it really only came to me last Sunday at church with a piece about what God wanted me to speak about. Um, and I felt like he really wanted me to speak about the fear of man and responding to that with godly confidence. Um, so when I was thinking about this, I was asking God to help me and um, I came across this verse in Proverbs, which I'd never read before and it's really simple but really profound. Um, and it's from Proverbs 29, 25 and it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Um, and the word snare, it's a bit old-fashioned. I fully, didn't really fully understand what it meant. Um, so I looked into it and there's other words that you could use instead of snare. So you could use the word trap. The fear of man lays a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Or even quicksand. The fear of man is like quicksand, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And really, this idea of fear is powerful. It's a powerful emotion. Um, and many people have studied it because it's fascinating the impact that fear can have on us in our lives. And psychologists have come up with this idea, um, which you'll probably be familiar with, called the fight-flight response. So when humans are confronted by something that is scary, that makes you feel afraid, they say that you're likely to respond in one of three ways. And that is to fight, so to fight back and defend yourself, to stand up to the thing that scares you to freeze, to be frozen with fear, or to flee, to run away and hide. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I think that more often than not, my response is not so much to fight, but more to freeze with fear or to flee, to run away and hide and to avoid scary situations. Um, and for me personally, anxiety has played a big part in my story. Um, I've been diagnosed with it. I've had to get help from multiple doctors and psychologists with it. And when I think about times in my life when I've been really anxious, it's all based around this fear of man. So when I went to uni, um, I probably missed 80% of my classes. I had to get special consideration to help me pass, which I ended up doing and I passed with honours, thanks Jesus. Um, but I missed those classes because I was so afraid of the people there. 
the crowds were really large, the ideas were really worldly, I felt like I didn't have a voice, I would, if I went to class, if I rocked up, I would sit in the back and then as soon as I could see the tutor wrapping it up, I'm like, yep, cool, I'm wrapping it up to quick A-line to the the door, get out. And I didn't have friends, which is unusual for me. I'm a pretty friendly person, um, but at uni, I really didn't talk to anyone. Um, more recently, this year, I started a new job, and that was a scary thing for me. Um, so I, I work, it's just me and this middle-aged man, he's my boss, an outdoor ed teacher. Um, so sometimes that's a bit awkward. The conversation hits a lull quite often. Um, and he's really good at his job, but he has quite a strong personality and I don't want to speak badly about him, but there is something about his personality that really instills a sense of fear in me. Um, I'm scared of getting things wrong in front of him and I feel like my confidence is totally shaken when I'm at work. Um, to the point where like fear has really, this fear of him and this fear of man has really laid a trap for me and it's led me down a negative path where I don't really voice my opinion at work even though I know it's valuable because I'm scared of his reaction or when I've made mistakes, I've actually lied to him. So um, I took home a swimming rash vest by mistake, <laughs> so silly, and he realised one was gone and he's quite pedantic and um, he was so frustrated and he was emailing everyone like, where is it? And I'm just sitting there going, I've got it. Like, um, I know I've got it. And I'm like, oh, I wonder where it is. I don't know. Um, and I brought it back the next day and hid it in a cupboard. And then I came out and said, I found it. Um, because I was so frightened of what he would think of me and what he would say to me I was so fearful and even in the lead up to speaking today um, I avoided writing anything down until yesterday because it made me feel better not to think about it because I was frightened of you guys <laughs> I was frightened of what you would think and how this would go and the responsibility of sharing God's heart um, and my mum is a great encouragement to me and, and this year when I've been struggling with work um, I called her up in tears and she read through the story of David and Goliath with me. Um, so I'm going to talk through this story with you. Um, if you want to read it, I really encourage you to read it for yourself um, from 1 Samuel chapter 17. But I'm just going to summarise it. Um, so... When I was thinking about this story, it's often a story we hear in kids' church. It's kind of seen as a kids' church story, a Sunday school story. But I really want you to think about um, looking at it and thinking about it through your adult lens because it's an actual event that happened in history. It's not a kid's story like it really happened. And it's powerful when you really reflect on it. Um, <clears throat> so... Try and picture this, there's two armies. So you've got Saul leading the Israelites standing on one mountaintop and then you've got the Philistines standing on another mountaintop and there's this valley between them. And they're getting ready for battle and then all of a sudden out of the Philistine war camp comes this champion. The Bible refers to him as a champion, Goliath the giant. And the Bible actually goes into quite a lot of detail describing Goliath which I think is important because this is a big dude. Um, like they talk about it in cubics and span. So I, I've done the work for you and I figured out what that means. Um, so he, he was eight feet, 10 inches. That's close to three metres. Um, he wore bronze, a bronze helmet. He had bronze covering his legs. He had a javelin between his shoulders, as you do. His coat alone weighed 57 kilos, so that's me. That's me in a coat. Um, he carried a spear, and the spearhead was six kilograms. Like, who needs a spear that big? And his shield, he couldn't carry himself. He had somebody walk before him and carry it for him. So this guy is, like, strutting his stuff. He is puffing out his chest. He's confident. Um... He's big, he's trained, 
And he's shouting at the Israelite army, challenging them to send someone out from their camp to fight him. And it says in the Bible that when Saul and his army heard this, they were greatly afraid. Fair enough, I probably would be too. And it says that he did this, he shouted at them, intimidating them, challenging them, morning and night for 40 days. So that's close to six weeks. So for six weeks, unrelenting, Goliath came out morning and night, shouting and challenging them, puffing out his chest and trying to freak them out. And it worked because they froze. They didn't fight back. They didn't flee, but they froze. They were stuck for six weeks. They did nothing. And he just yelled at them. Okay, so enter David. David's a teenager. He's the son of a guy called Jesse. He's got three brothers that are fighting for the Israelite army. And he's been given the job of the lunch run. So dad's given him some food. Go and feed your brothers. Make sure they're okay. Come back and tell me everything's all right. So David hands up, uh, heads up to the battleground. And when he does this, Goliath comes out and, and sends out his war cry, asking the Israelite army to send someone to challenge him. And David's response to this is amazing. He says, who is this man that dares to challenge the armies of the living God? And he says it to multiple people. He says it to his brother first and his brother's like, yeah, shush, go away. Um, And so he turns around and starts saying it to other people. And then he comes before Saul and tells Saul that he'll fight Goliath. And Saul's response was, you're too young. You're only a teenager. Goliath has been fighting in wars since he was your age. This doesn't seem to bother David. He goes on to say, it's okay, I've been looking after sheep. When there have been lions or bears that have taken one, I've just chased them down and delivered them from their mouth, just casually. And if the beast would come against me, I would grab them by the beard and kill them. The same God that delivered me from these beasts will deliver me from Goliath. There's no fear. He's totally confident in God, godly confidence. He rejects the offer to wear any armour, but he turns up with five small pebbles and a sling. Like what a joke to Goliath, who has all of this war get up, and then David struts in with five small stones. Like it's almost an insult to Goliath. Goliath takes one look at him, laughs, thinks it's a joke. He curses David and threatens to feed his body to the birds. He actually says, Who is this? Do you think I'm a dog and you're bringing me sticks? And then David makes a declaration. And I'm going to read it straight from the Bible because it's really powerful. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand." Can you actually imagine this teenage boy like rocking up in front of this huge giant and saying that? It actually made me giggle when I read this the first time because he's pretty much saying, I'm taking you down and then I'm going to do a victory lap with your head on a stick. (laughs) Um, It's confident, like it's bold. It's almost arrogant, like it could be seen as arrogant, but he's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in God. And that's the difference, like Goliath was boasting in himself. He's like, yeah, who's going to take me on? Come and try. Whereas David's like, we've got this. I've got God. David was operating out of a realm of faith, not of fear. He turned up to a scary situation and immediately started to question why no one was fighting back. How dare someone come against God? Let me at him. And the thing that really strikes me about this story 
is that David did all of this with faith, but he didn't even have the Holy Spirit. Just great godly confidence. He was living in a time where he had, he had faith in the living God, but he did not yet have the Holy Spirit. That came later, after Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit. Like, I wonder what realm you're operating in. Is it one of faith or of fear? Because for me, it's mostly been fear. And is your response to fear, is it, is it to fight back? Do you fight back with godly confidence? Do you freeze? Do you get stuck and there's no movement? Or do you flee and run away and hide? In 2 Timothy 1.7, and this is a verse that if you've been coming to church for a while, you'll know. And it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I've heard this verse many times before, but then I looked into the context of it. And the context of the verse is that Paul was in prison when he wrote that to his friend Timothy. So he, and he was possibly facing death. He'd been in prison quite a few times at this point and he died shortly after. Paul had been enslaved by the hands of man, but he hadn't been enslaved by the fear of man. So he was in this situation and he was still speaking out and spurring his friends on with godly confidence. For we have not been given a spirit of fear. But the spirit that we have been given is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Like, do you actually stop and think about that sometimes? Jesus was brutally crucified. He was pronounced dead. They took him down, laid him in his resting place. He'd been taken to the cemetery pretty much. Three days later, after being completely still, he was raised from the dead. That same power that raised him from the dead, if you're a believer in Jesus, is inside of you. Like what power, what fear could possibly match that kind of power? We have that same spirit. For if God is for us, then who can be against us? And like the song says that we often sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Fear is not from God, but the spirit of the resurrected Christ is. I want to ask you guys today to think about what realm you're operating out of. Is it one of faith or one of fear? When scary things confront you, do you fight back with godly confidence? Do you freeze? Do you flee? Do you run and hide because it's comfortable and safe? Maybe you have a boss at work who can be a bit of a bully. Maybe you're at school or at uni and you feel like you're small and you don't have a voice. Maybe you're too scared to go for a particular job, for an interview, even though you feel like God's tugging at you to try. Maybe you're afraid to step up at church, to speak words that have been given to you, to join a ministry that you know that you have a heart for. Maybe the world is shouting at you about your faith in God, that it's ridiculous and not worth speaking about. There are so many voices of fear speaking to us daily. I guess I just want to encourage you about the power of declaration. Because in this story, with this teenage boy coming up against this giant, he doesn't just go in and fight. He stops first and he actually makes a declaration. Like how often do we get up and look fear in the face and make a declaration to it? Do you declare things to the object of your fear? I've had to start doing that. Like every morning in the car before I get out for work, I have to remind myself of the spirit that lives in me because it builds courage. It builds me up and reminds me that there's no force that can come against me and there's no reason to be afraid. 
I was talking to mum. I, I was giving the spiel on my sermon yesterday. How do you think I went, mum? Um, and she said, I think that we often care away and we're often afraid. There's that real fear of man. But if the church really made a powerful declaration with godly confidence and we embraced that spirit, that resurrected spirit of power, like the church would change the world. There would be no force that could come against us. And so I guess I just really want to encourage you this morning to stop and to think about what your reaction to fear is. Because I've had to do that. Because the fear of man is a trap. It's either going to freeze you and you're going to be stuck or you're going to run away and hide for your life. And Jesus has done so much for us (laughs) because he loves us. And really, he's a force to be reckoned with and that's inside of us. I think I'll just pray. Jesus, I just thank you for this church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I just pray for anyone today that is feeling frightened, that is afraid, that feels like they're small, they don't have a voice, that's riddled with fear or anxiety. I just pray that you really stir them. Show them who you are and that you live inside of them. And that you can empower them. I just pray that you really open our hearts to hear this message that you want to speak to your church this morning. And I just thank you, Jesus. Amen. So good, Lauren. Thank you. So the next person that we've got this morning is Godson. Welcome, Godson. We're really excited. Morning, church. Um, Thank you, Lauren. That was a great message. I needed that. I'm sure that all the church needed that as well. Um, Morning, church. I want to speak from Genesis. I'm sure we all know about the creation story. But I'll be sharing something that God spoke to me from those passages. And, I'm, and I believe that God will have a way to speak to you through it as well. Um, Genesis chapter 1 talks about the power of God. His ability to speak things into being. Um, he formed the earth and all that's within it in six days. Plus he made humans with his own hands in his own image. And Genesis chapter 2 goes on to um, talk about more about the Adam and Eve and the history but verse 5 and 6 is what spoke to me. And um, it reads, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. I'm going to read that again. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was, um, and there was no one wood to work the ground. But streams came from... For from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And if you're like me, you probably think, didn't God already speak things into being already? Make the land with all these kinds of various plants and trees. And pretty sure in the six days he'll probably made water. And but why didn't it to rain? And if we if we take a step back to chapter one, on the second day of creation, God separated the water from the sky. And on the, um, the third day, God separated the water from the land. On the same day, God also commanded the land to produce the vegetation. He spoke the, um, the seed-bearing plants and trees to produce fruits according to their kinds. This is crazy. You see, the water was always there. Before the earth took the form, it was water that the earth was composed of. Because in verse 2 of chapter 1, we find that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the, um, the formless, empty, void earth. And in verse 6, God said on the second day, let there be a vault that separates the waters 
to separate the water from the water, and then he separated the water from above the vault and under the vault, and the vault separated to create the sky. And, that, and then he separated the water again to create land. So the water was always there from the beginning. But what I found that all of this available, but the land was barren. All of it right there, yet it wasn't enough and couldn't supply the necessary ingredient to flourish and vegetate the land. And this is when God goes to form Adam and Eve to kind of look after the land, take care of, the la t take care of it, plow it, vegetate it, and he gives them the authority to above like, of all that's in the earth. So the land is what spoke to me, and the land is what I'm going to be talking about. So God instilled the land with the potential to produce any vegetation. Different fruits of different shape, color, taste, you name it. But it wasn't until something unpleasant like the rain and the people to plow it that it actually yielded the result and the fruit that it was meant to. And if you know me, I love the winter. Summer days are very enjoyable. And I don't really mind the, the windy days either or the cloudy days. And that reminds me of one of the quotes by this guy. And he says, whether it rains or whether it shines, there doesn't have to be a difference. We have the ability to carry our own weather. I like most part about it except the rainy part. One thing that puts me off so much is a rainy day. I'm sure most of us can relate to that as well, but it puts up a lot of things off schedule. You wake up, you find that it's raining or that it's going to be raining that day. I'm like, oh, bugger. That's, that's, that's going to slow my day down a little bit. Like, I've got to walk 20 meters to my car or to groceries to the shops. Ah, oh, that's annoying. And with some of the rainy days we have in Melbourne, we've got like winter kind of accompany it. Windy days in itself is not something of mine, but then with rain, it makes things a lot harder to bear. And I understand that it's beneficial, necessary for a lot of people, for, for a lot of things, but if it disrupts my schedule, then I've got a problem with it. <laughs> But, but that's just me, and I'm sure that we can all relate to that as well, at least some of us. But God made the dry ground prolific, and we are like that, and we are like the land. And I want to tell you something. God made us with incomprehensible potential. We all have that within us, something unique, something different, something important. And like Steve said last week, we all have a testimony within us because God. And because of God... Because he instilled that potential within us, we never know what our story can unlock in others. We are all created and made perfect in his likeness. And we are all carefully fashioned with unique skills and talents. Uh, and we are blessed beyond measure and created with a purpose for a purpose. And we've been given great and immense gifts. In, and even though at times we, we may forget that we have it or we fail to kind of realize its full potential. So what I'm trying to say is that the land the Lord was made was fully fertile. It was able to be fruitful. It had the potential to produce different fruits and different kinds. But it's one thing to have potential, but it's another thing to yield to the, uh, yield to the potential and bear the fruits. But how do we do that? How do we walk in the purpose that we have? Yielding to the potential and walking in the purpose means to recognize that we are His, that we belong to Him. His calling for our life is unique and that He requires us to be consistent in that walk. When we walk in the purpose, what I mean is that we are intentional. We are aware of a calling and we are faithful to kind of walk and, um, and seek after God every day. That is in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our choices, decisions, habits, in everything reflecting Jesus. And, but it's another thing to commit to follow him every day consistently. And don't get me wrong, it is quite hard, but that's where faith comes in. Faith enables us to know that the process that he's taken us through is going to be worthwhile, even though the progress may seem invisible. It takes a different kind of faith and trust to know that he's actually paving a way for you. He's, he's, he's going before you. He's holding your hands and, hey, come along. I've got you. So the land the Lord, could, Lord made could grow anything that was ever possible, but it could not attain the purpose until God sent rain over it to instigate the process. And um, in, in chapter, 
2 of verse 6, God does say that there was, wa- there was streams of water that came to water the surface of the earth. But that's just the, um, the heavy fog and the ground dew um, because the, the outer atmosphere that the God, God created didn't make no rain cycle, but it did make for a rich system of evaporation and condensation. So God did need to send a little bit of rain for something to happen. So it's through the uncomfortable toiling and plowing and the rain that we as people have to go through that actually unleash our potential and purpose. So we grow through what, to what, through what we go through. So the rain can seem like a bad sign, but it represents a blessing. In realistic terms, it's something that makes us go out of our comfort zones. And in verse... Um, five of chapter two it says one of the reasons the land grew no plants was because there was no one to work the ground what we have is the holy spirit and it makes our conscience aware and it's constantly working on us it's convicting us it's leading our way it's bringing things to attention it's that voice at the back of the head kind of telling you hey this is where i want you to be this is what i want you to do and it molds us so that we are more in sync with the Lord and our purpose. And he can use any medium to speak to us, but he wants us to be receptive to what he has to say and actually give heed. And not, and not only that, but he requires us to act on it, take that initiative, take that extra step and that, um, for that goal that he has purposed in us. And when we are receptive, um, we find that the rain or the challenges or the things that happen in our life are actually a potential, are actually an opportunity that God uses to take us to another level and equip us to something better and create a better individual within us. And, and it's often not only for our gain, but, but for the greater community. And I want us, church, the Bayside, to be resonating um, to that to the point that we are reflecting and resonating Him in our every day. Yeah. Not, just, not just on a Sunday, not just on a, on a connect night, not just on a youth night, but for every day, work throughout the day, reflecting Him and resonating Him. And Stephen Covey says, the same time that the greater the change and more difficult our challenges become, the more relevant our habits also become. Our problems and pain may are universal, and even though they may seem so ever-increasing, the solutions to the problems are always based on universal, timeless, self-evident principles. So when our habit is to go back to the source who holds everything in place, we find that, the fu- that we, we find that we function out of the trust that everything is going to be okay. Not because we have it all together, but because he does. Um, and we come to realize that it's a presence of Jesus, not the absence of trouble that brings contentment. And... And we find that God never promised the absence of trouble. But he, but he does promise to never leave us and, and never forsake us. And one thing I found is that our never is very different to his never. And never is an absolute term. And we find that we, we don't know everything, but we use it all the time. Like, I would never be like that person. I would never do that. I would never bring, I, I would never let that happen, whatever. And, um, and, and, and we find that even Peter in the Bible said that. Jesus was like the night before, before the dawn tomorrow, you'll betray me three times. And he was like, Lord, I would never do that. And I would never do that. Like they'll have to go through me to get to you or something similar to that. It's not word to word, but, um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's what probably he said in mind. And, and, and he was probably like, hey, I'm the rock you made me. I am firm on my words. I will say, when I say never, that's, that's firm enough. But then we all know what happened the, the day after that. Um, but but when he says never, that is an affirmative never. Like he, he knows our past, he knows our present, he knows our future. He knows our flaws, he knows our sins, he knows our everything about us. He knows our ancestors, he knows the generations to come, he knows everything about us from the inside out. He knows our thoughts, he knows our actions, he knows our words. He knows what I'm going to be doing right now, he knows what I'm going to be doing the next second. He knows everything about me, but he tells me, I would never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I am with you to the end. So God never promises the absence of trouble in our life, but he does promise to walk with us through them. And that's, and that's a promise, and that's a confidence that we have as Christians, the promise that He is with us. 
So the water was there on earth from, earth from the very beginning, yet it was the very thing that the land needed. Jesus is the living water that we have, and it's so amazing how we need him for our spiritual and earthly survival. He's always there knocking on the door of, door of our heart. He was there from the very beginning, and he's with us everywhere, just like the water was there all around. But we have to receive him. At the sound of God's voice, just like at the sound of God's voice, the land became receptive, we have to be ready, we're ready to receive God's calling, his discipline, his instructions at any given time. His timing is perfect and he will take us to problems and hardships, but at times I'm very glad he does because it better equips us. And I want us to see problems as an opportunity to progress into something new. Failure as a feedback. Every day as a new beginning. That, that, that was one of the things we talked at the start of the year. Every day is a new beginning. And the assurance is that the same God that brought us through up until now is the same God who will take us through um, and keep us going. His promises never fail and he remains faithful. And he is faithful yesterday, today and forevermore. He takes us through different and difficult situations, and, but it only equips us for what, for what lies ahead. If you think about this for a moment, what if, what if God actually takes away something seemingly big in our eyes just so that he could bless us with big things in his eyes? We may be just ordinary people, but when we function out of the trust that God has installed in us and when, when we use that unique potential that God blessed us with, we portray extraordinary characteristics. So we are ordinary people with extraordinary capabilities because God we may face challenges, but we make it through better than before because God. What we have learned through a challenge better enabled him to use that for his glory, but also helped us to empower others because God. And we find that the Bible is all people like that. You see that God sees something in every individual, even when they don't see them, say that, they don't see that in themselves. And we find that he's not looking for people who are perfect or qualified, but for people who are humble, and, and he calls them so he can equip them. And we come to realize that at times he may not give us step-by-step -step instructions. When God, when God made the land, it was made with its full potential. But it was up to Adam and Eve and the rest of the people to follow to look after it, work it, help yield the intended potential. And um, for example, if you look at Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 12, it reads, the Lord said to Abraham, this is before he became Abraham, um, the Lord said to Abraham, go, to, go, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And if you know the context, it's a really hard thing to do from back in the days to leave your country, everything you know, every people you know, your family, your relatives, and move, go to another country after you hear one random call from God. It may seem random to him, but he actually um, took on that as a, as a word. As a word. Um, so Abraham wasn't exactly told where he was going or how he was going to get there before he started. But all that we know is that God's guidance would be with him throughout the way. And that's all that he needed. And that took him so he heard the boy, um, God's voice, and then it was like a long period away before he heard God's voice again. So that one single thing guided him along the way all throughout. So God gave Abraham a vision of his destination, but he did not give him a step-by-step -step inst instruction or direction. This is probably, if God gave us the entire plan to how our life was going to be, we'll probably start following it than him. So it... It's very normal to want certainty or even crave it, but walking in our calling requires faith. And even though having doubts and worries are normal, it's good to know that we don't have to have all the pieces together before we even start it out. Because we have the faith that he's gonna, we, he holds it and it's going to be fine because we are under his care. And I'm going to finish off soon. So he disciplines his children that he cares about. He loves everyone equally, but, he, it, but if he takes us through some kind of hardship, it's because he's about to unlock something new. There is an advantage in the adversity that we have to go through. 
He doesn't take us through situations without having an exit figured out. He gives us problems that we are able to handle, but, but, he, but his hands will be with us while he pushes us to become better or reach higher. His hands are always over our shoulders. But we have to trust that it will be an advantage because even at times the process may seem invisible, the process he's taken us through is actually taking place because God. Thanks, Godson. That was awesome. And the next person we've got is Kate Crookshank. Come on, Kate. Give it a shake. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to, before I start, I just want to honour the fact that we each have a story and we each carry something really special. Um, and I think we've seen something really beautiful in both Godson and Lauren so far of them bringing themselves and bringing something that God's put in each of them. So I just wanted to honour that not only do Lauren and Godson carry the, something really special, but each one of us. We need to honour the story in each one of us that we carry something really special to bring. Well, I recently heard someone speak about something to do with terrorism. Now, before you freak out, I'm not going to talk about terrorism. But the thing that I want to point out, it's a bit of a, a funny moment for me. Uh, you'll understand why in a second. But they said the word terrorism, and they said it very slowly. They said terrorism. And I just had a light bulb moment, and I went, oh, my gosh. The reason why the word terrorism is terrorism is because terror means fear, and ism is like the action part. So terrorism is putting fear in people. Whoa. We learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to talk about terrorism and I'm not going to talk about terrorists, but I am going to talk about fear. And I love that God sets things up because Lauren and I definitely didn't plan to talk about similar things. And even Godson, I think, touched on this. But I love the way that God sets up a process of who's going to be talking and what they're going to be sharing. So I hope I'm stepping into awesome context from what these guys have brought. You know, anytime I've shared this message with people, this just talking about fear with people, I've found it rather amusing because uh, it's very much something that comes out of battle cries that I have walked through and moments where I have had to really claim this for myself. And it's certainly something that I'm not bringing because I've managed it and successfully completed doing this well, but it's something that I bring because it's a journey that I'm on and I hope that you'll jump on this journey with me. For many years of life... Uh, as a child, I was kept awake at night due to fear. I would wake up uh, with nightmares frequently. Um, and then in 2015, I was diagnosed with severe anxiety. So as you can see, fear has definitely played a large uh, role in my life. Uh, I'm also very shy and introverted naturally, if you would guess that. <laughs> you know, I think we all carry bits of fear and there's so many reasons to fear. You know, we can open up a newspaper or these days you just open up the news app on your phone and there's plenty of reasons there as to why you should fear and what you should be fearful of. Now, I'm going to talk about fear, but I'm, before I do, I want to just say that not all fear is bad. Some fear is incredibly helpful and healthy. You know, fear is a protective mechanism of our body. It springs into place to protect us from something that's going on. So sometimes if we're experiencing fear, we've got to really listen to that and go, okay, what's the reason why? And maybe it's something that's trying to protect me. So I'm not talking about this morning, I'm not talking about that kind of fear that's a really healthy protective mechanism, but I'm talking about the kind of fear that becomes crippling, that stops us from living life to the fullest. When I was diagnosed with anxiety, my doctor explained anxiety to me as being that my body was uh, seeing something that it needed to protect me from and would react to the thing that it thought was going to hurt me by causing me to freak out and feel a bit of fear. But instead of just reacting to the problem, it would overreact to the problem. And that's what it constantly does. It will overreact to something to an unhealthy extent. And that's where I find that crippling side of fear, where it becomes something quite unhealthy. Even though we haven't all been diagnosed with anxiety, I think there's different ways that we can experience fear. Perhaps uh, if you think about what the main reason is that some people will choose to go to the computer at Macca's instead of the person behind the desk to order their food. Or perhaps when you won't speak up and say your mind, even though you know you definitely have a message to share in a certain situation. Or perhaps the reason why when someone asks you, how are you going, you'll respond with the automatic, good, good. <laughs> Or perhaps you might 
need to leave a certain situation quicker than you might otherwise. A lot of different times in life we experience something called fear. Often the things that suffer most because of fear, the crippling sort of fear, are our relationships and our joy. And I don't know about you, but I am so sick of fear taking away joy and interrupting relationships. I don't know if you know this, but the, uh, the enemy is the best terrorist. John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I want to say we were not, co- we were not created to be crippled by fear, but we were actually given power so that we would be able to live in this place of life and life to the full. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, as we heard from Lauren earlier, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. We're not created to be crippled by fear. I want to share three brief stories with you. The first is that some of you may know, but some of you may not. I worked at a campsite prior to uh, working at church with the teenagers here. And uh, what my job was at the campsite was running activities. So I would run things like high ropes courses, canoeing, bike riding, all those sorts of crazy fun things. Uh, And one thing in particular that I really enjoyed running was an activity called the Leap of Faith, which was on the high ropes course. Now, if you've done a high ropes course, it's a little terrifying, especially if you have a bit of fear of heights. Uh, So what essentially the, the Leap of Faith is, is it's this huge pole that you have to climb up. And so you would climb up this pole, so up a ladder, up a pole, onto a platform at the top of the pole. And when you get to that platform, you have to look out and you'll see straight in front of you is a ball hanging from a cable. The aim of the leap of faith is for you to jump off this platform, obviously attached to a harness and a rope, totally safe. Jump off the platform (laughs) and try and smack that ball and then you'd be lowered down safely to the ground. So my job was to stand at the bottom of this pole on the ground like running the ropes, making sure that when that person does get up the pole, jump off the platform and come down, they come down very safely to a nice cushy landing on the floor. Now, many times I would watch people climb up this pole, get to the platform. They would be like, yeah, I'm getting up, I'm climbing up the pole. Go, 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 leg, leg, leg. Yeah, look, guys, look at me. I'm cool. I'm climbing this pole. Oh, so cool. Do, do, do. Get to the platform. They're standing on the platform. Freeze. It's like we've just seen this huge amount of confidence up this pole and all of a sudden, freeze. They can't do it. So at that point, we'd give them three options. Okay, you can sit down, you can just sit on your bottom and you just slide yourself off or you can stand on your feet, a bit braver, and take a little step off or you can do the full leap of faith. So take the jump and try and hit the ball. Now, a lot of my job really was just trying to encourage them at that point to get off the platform and get back down on the ground. There was an occasion where I stood there for 45 minutes waiting for someone, trying to coach them to get off that platform. Uh, But eventually they would do it. They would eventually get off that platform. Their fear would produce faith and they would just have to do it. They would have to trust that little me on the ground would catch them when they jump. Now the adults always had the hardest time trusting that I would be able to do it. I think that's, there's a key truth in that, that sometimes our fear has to produce faith. Without fear, sometimes we can't have faith. I think fear and faith walk hand in hand a lot of the time. The second story I want to share comes from Matthew chapter 14 in the Bible. It's the story of the 12 disciples in a boat. They're all there in this boat and they look out on the water. This is the, uh, the new revised Caitlin version, just in case you're wondering. They're in this boat, they look out on the water and they see a figure walking towards them on the water. Now I wish I was there because that would be just crazy amazing, I think, to see someone walking on water. But anyway, the disciples are in this boat, they see someone walking towards them and as he gets closer to them walking on water, they recognise it's Jesus. And Peter, I would love to have met Peter because I think he's a bit of a smart aleck. He goes to Jesus, well Jesus, if you can walk on water, please let me walk on water also. So out Peter gets out of the boat, swings his legs over, off he goes onto the water and he's walking on water with Jesus. He takes a few steps, he's still walking on water, all is well and then all of a sudden we read that something happens in this chapter. He starts to look around him and realise, wait on a second, I'm walking on water and he starts to freak out. 
And all of a sudden, he starts to sink. And then we read that Jesus goes, well, you know, Peter, you should have trusted me. I'm just going to let you sink. Not really. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, Jesus grabs Peter by the hand as Peter's starting to sink and pulls him to safety and pulls him onto the boat. When he gets onto the boat, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, why didn't you trust me? Why don't you have enough faith? I had this. You know, I think it's so easy in the midst of things that are going on around us for us to look at the circumstances, for us to look at, wait on, look at what's going on, and to start to freak out, to start to be a bit fearful. You know, when we stop looking at Jesus and we stop going, yes, this is possible, I trust, and we start to look at the stuff around us, that's where I think we start to sink and we start to become surrounded by fear. Perhaps we can learn something from this story that whilst we're in the midst of these moments that we can search for Jesus, lock eyes on his face and in the midst of whatever's going on we can find that we can trust him and we can find peace in whatever the circumstances are that we're in. The last story I want to share was that, is that one of my Bible college subjects that I did a little while ago was on evangelism. And one of the activities that we had to do, yay being an introvert, was that we had to go into the town that we were close by to and we had to just walk up to people and tell them about Jesus. I was like, are you kidding? No way. But before we went out, our lecturer gave us a really beautiful gift. He said to us, he said, your job is not to convert people, but to do your part in going and just talking to them with the intention to tell them about Jesus. Now, the gift that he gave us in that moment was the gift of a changed perspective. For us to suddenly see what we were about to do, not as this huge, terrifying thing, but instead gave us a really simple step to take in the right direction. He took a burden off our shoulders and said, it's okay to just give it a go. Take the expectations and the pressures off. I think it's so important for us to put things into perspective us to take pressure off ourselves and to just take little steps. I want to encourage you, don't let your fear of what could happen, let nothing happen. So step out of your comfort zones, try some new things, honestly tell people how you're doing, walk across the room and talk to people you might not normally talk to, try a leap of faith if you have an opportunity to do so and just see what happens to your relationships and your joy. Let's be people who don't allow fear to cripple us, but instead allow fear to produce faith. God bless.